All right. You ready to step into the Word together? It's one more way that we worship our God. Let's do that. I'll invite you to take your Bible or your phone or whatever you're working with today. Let's head to the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28. So you're going to go to the first book and to the last chapter of the first book, Matthew chapter 28. If you need a Bible this morning, um, we'll make sure that you get one. Just raise your hand and and we'll uh, supply you with a copy of God's Word. There is a little note page. Grab that note page out of your bulletin as well because we're going to work through that together as part of our our time. And, And church family, if you were with us last time, you know that we embarked on a, on a little three-week mini-series titled, May I See Your ID, Please? And uh, kind of a fun and light-hearted way uh, for us to get to thinking about some rather serious topics. As someone who professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that we have determined in that place where our deepest and most passionately held convictions are kept, We believe that Jesus really is who he claimed to be, the sinless living God in a human body, and that he really did what he claimed that he would do, die in our place for our sins, bear God's judgment against our sin himself. As someone who professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, were we to be asked, may I see your ID, please, Christian? What forms of ID could we show? What forms of ID would we be able to to show? As we noted last time, we don't carry a card around that uh, we could pull out and say, here's my I'm a Christian ID card. We don't have anything like that. So, So what forms of ID would we produce if someone said, show me your ID, Christian? Well, as those who profess allegiance to, the, to Jesus, we have, according to God's word, no less than three forms of ID that we could produce that are recognized by heaven and are valid wherever we go. One of, our genuine, one, of, one of these is our genuine regular participation in the observance of communion, or we sometimes refer to it as the Lord's table. That's one form of ID that we possess, regularly remembering the death of our Savior as he commanded us to do. That's one form of ID. A second is our obedience to Jesus' command to be baptized. And then a third is our personal identification with our involvement in a local church where Jesus and God's word are at the center. We have three forms of ID at least. Remembering Jesus saving death and doing that often. Being baptized, which is something that we do one time in our our spiritual journey with Jesus, and then being invested in Jesus' church personally and practically all of the time. May I see your ID, please, Christian? And we say, sure you can, because we do have some ID. Now, we explored communion last time we were together, and we shared the table together as a church family on the back side of, of looking at God's word, and it was, a, it was just a sweet time to do that last Sunday. Today, church, let's think about this second form of ID that we have, baptism. Let's think about believer's baptism as a second form of ID. You see it there on your note page. And then at this point, someone says, you know, Tim, during the announcement time, you said that that, that there's a baptism celebration that's going to be happening next Sunday. So why wouldn't you talk about baptism 
next Sunday? Wouldn't it seem like the the perfect time to focus on baptism on the day that you're going to do a baptism? And you know what? I can understand the logic behind that, that question. But church family, could it be that the Holy Spirit would use his word today to move in the heart of one or more who call IBC home and profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, but have never been baptized, could it be that God would use this moment to help them think about their own baptism next Sunday? They're not thinking about baptism in this moment. You came to church today, you know Jesus is Lord and Savior, but you've never been baptized, and you're not thinking about baptism next week either. But perhaps after today, that would change for you. So that's why we're going to talk about this topic today, by taking this second form of ID and considering it together today, perhaps we give some persons in our church family an opportunity to act on what they will read, what they're going to hear Today. Does that sound like a good idea? Makes perfect sense to me. We've got plenty of other things we can talk about next Sunday, I think. Now, almost everyone, including the unchurched and those who are quite young, are at least somewhat familiar with the idea of baptism. And most can pull up an image or a picture in their mind of a baptism service. So here I am years ago when my hair wasn't quite so white. Um, and baptizing some friends in our church family over at Camp Maranatha Pool. Just about everybody immediately can envision a baptism, a person or persons in a special ceremony, maybe by a riverbank or in a pool or at a church, and someone is getting dunked under the water with the assistance of a pastor as others look on with interest. We all have this kind of an image. Now, that may be the full extent of someone's uh, understanding of baptism in this moment, but it's a good it's a good start. But there's so much more to this beautiful moment called baptism in a Christian's life. Your Bible is open to Matthew chapter 28. The last two verses are of, of interest to us in this moment, verses 19 and 20. And we begin by clarifying and correcting, hopefully, one of the more prevalent misconceptions that many have concerning the practice of water baptism in a Christian's life. The misconception stated most plainly is this, that baptism in the life of a professing Christian is optional. That's the misconception. It's, it's, a, it's a suggestion in Scripture. I can take it or leave it. I can do it or not. But the biblical truth is, for every Christian, baptism is not optional. It is not a suggestion in Scripture. Baptism is a what, church? It's a command. It is a command. In other words, baptism is something that our Lord and Savior fully expects all of us who follow him in faith to actually do. Would you agree with that? Yeah? Yeah, you're on board? All right, let's see what that's all about. 
Any perspective that presents believers' baptism in some other light is missing what I understand to be a really straightforward instruction from God's Word. We all acknowledge that there are parts of the Bible that are really difficult and challenging to understand. Baptism is not one of those subjects. It's not one of those topics that are kind of gray and we're left kind of, wow, what, what do I do with that? That's not baptism. Baptism in Scripture is really straightforward. So check out what Jesus himself says in verses 19 and 20, Matthew 28. We often refer to these verses as the Great Commission, Jesus' final marching orders to his followers before returning to heaven after his resurrection. Many of us actually know these verses by heart. In fact, I wondered if we could just read them together right off the screen as a church family, good and loud. Let's read them like we believe them. All right, let's do it. Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we say amen and amen. As one of his last acts before ascending into heaven, Jesus issues this command to his inner circle of disciples. The mantle of leadership for the church is about to fall on their shoulders. And as it does, Jesus here does not present the great suggestion. He does not say, fellas, listen, I've got an idea. Would you consider thinking about something? He spoke a command. He says, take the message of eternal life through faith in me to the farthest reaches of this planet. And there, share that message and then help those who believe the message to to grow spiritually. Make disciples, men and women and young people who can produce themselves, reproduce themselves, living boldly for me and telling others about me. And Jesus says... And see that their determination to follow me in faith is accompanied by their participation in baptism. This is not just the great commission to evangelize. This is the great command to be baptized. So if I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus today, and he is my Savior and my Lord, and I have never been baptized What would these verses compel me to have to admit? What? Now I've got to get baptized, right? (laughs) I have to admit that up to this moment in my Christian life, I have not obeyed my Savior with respect to this command. That's what I would have to admit. Now, if I am describing you this morning, If this is what you must admit, I would just let you know that you are far from alone in this. Many in Jesus' church today who who know him as Savior have never been baptized or, or have never been baptized in a manner that is consistent with the Bible's instruction. So someone would be justified in asking, if that was your situation, well, why not? Why haven't? you've been baptized. If this is Jesus' command, why wouldn't his followers just do it to steal the Nike slogan? Just do it. Why? Jesus said do it. Well, that's a fair question. And in response, I would say that there are some legitimate and then some not so legitimate reasons why professing Christians 
have not been baptized. There on your note page, I've listed a few. The first one, some Christians can honestly say, I just never knew that about this thing called baptism. I never knew baptism was a command from Jesus to me. There could be a a, a Christian here in our midst this morning who for the very first time is, is actually hearing what God's word says about baptism and they're hearing for the first time that it's not optional in their life as a follower of Jesus. This is new information. And now armed with this new information, they're going to take action. They're, they're going to they're get baptized and they're going to come and say, Pastor Tim, can I do that next Sunday? And we would say, oh, yes, let's do that. For others, the issue isn't so much that they haven't been taught. There's a second group that might say, you know, I'm confused. I'm really confused. There are some who have been exposed to such a variety of teaching on this topic that they don't really know what to think. Some church denominations teach, for example, that baptism is not uh, for the New Testament Christian. Within these denominations, baptism is presented as an ancient Jewish practice and therefore it is not for Jesus' church today. The Quakers, some of the Friends denomination churches, Salvation Army groups, this is what they would teach if you were to step into to that circle. It's not for today. Then clear on the other end of the spectrum are denominations that teach that that water baptism is absolutely essential for your salvation. You're not saved unless you have been baptized. Churches of Christ, the disciples of Christ, some others move in this direction. And if before becoming a Christian, someone had exposure to Mormonism's teaching, you, you maybe came out of that environment, There's the practice of being baptized for the dead. More than two and a half million Mormons every year get baptized, believing that by doing so, they can influence the lives of loved ones who have already died. Well, that brings some confusion into the mix, doesn't it? Roman Catholics baptize infants, believing that this rite cleanses the infant of original sin and ensures that the baby goes to heaven should they die in infancy or as a small child. And then the Lutherans and some others bring a variation on this thought into the mix as well, more of a symbolic dedication of parents and children uh, to the Lord. That's how the baptism of a small child is looked at. And so all of this understandably can leave some Christians throwing up their hands and saying, you know what, I'm confused. Maybe that describes you this morning. So, descri- so confused on this subject of baptism that you've really ne- never felt comfortable going forward. But another reason that many, and I use that word many deliberately here, There are many who remain disobedient to Jesus' baptism command, and it's not really very easy to understand why. If pressed, they would have to admit, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Some have been a Christian for a long time, served in their church for a long time, been a leader in their church, a a teacher in their church or their Sunday school. They've been ushers or, or whatever they have been. And they've been doing that for a very long time. And the longer that they go 
in these roles, as time passes, the harder it gets to become obedient. What will people think? Everyone assumes that I've done that already. What will they think if they know that I haven't been baptized and I'm, I've been doing all these things for all this time? No, that's too embarrassing. I'm not going to do that. It has been such a blessing in the past to baptize many adults here within the life of our church family who have been Christians a long time, who finally put pride to death. Because that's exactly what we're talking about. If we take all the flowery stuff away, it's just, it's just pride. person says, no, this is what I really must do as a follower of Jesus. He died on a cross for me publicly. He hung on a cross in shame and in suffering and in anguish. Surely I can stand in the waters of baptism for him. Forget what other people might think. And you know what? To date, I have never once heard anyone say of any Christian who was baptized, wow, what was the deal with them? Why did it take them so long? Well, I didn't, that's Why? I've never heard that. There has never been anything but a response of joy and praise for the, for the obedience that was expressed by that person. And, and some we, we have baptized have been high-profile leaders in our church family. Unfortunately, some are not yet ready to call their reservation about baptism what it really is. Pride. Maybe that would change. For someone today. And then at least. As, as unpleasant as the thought of pride. Is that fourth thought there on your page. The person who says. Another time perhaps. I'll get baptized. Jesus gives the command. It's clear. It's known. It's understood. But apparently it's not a priority. Next year. Next time they do a baptism at IBC. Uh, it, it's just too, there's just too much going on in my life right now. From a small town local newspaper comes this notice. Mrs. Katie Garrett, 90 years old, was baptized by total immersion at Bethesda Baptist Church last Sunday. She says, I've been pondering this step since I was 18, and now I've made up my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you know, it's, it's wonderful that dear little Katie finally determined to obey the Lord in this area of her life, but it did, did it really need to take 72 years for that to happen? You don't want to be that. You don't want to be that if you know Jesus. So whether it's, it's absence of solid teaching or whether it's genuine confusion or embarrassment or complacency or something else, a professing Christian who has never been baptized is out of step with Jesus' heart. Would you agree with that? I mean, we've got to agree with that. Hear what Jesus himself says in John fourteen twenty three, the night before he goes to the cross. He says, if anyone loves me, he will what, church? He's going to obey my commands if he really loves me, if she really loves me. My Father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. First John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commands are not burdensome. They're not difficult. 
Jesus never envisioned a Christian who was not baptized. And so if you're a Christian, you let the redeemed community know that you were a Christian. You were public with that. You let them know through the waters of baptism. There's only one perspective of baptism that we're ever given in the life of the early church, and it's this perspective. If you know Jesus, you get baptized. As a matter of fact, on the very day that the church came into being, the day that it was birthed in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and an extraordinary thing is recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received Peter's word, the gospel, were what? They were baptized that very day. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The church is born on this day. The people come to faith in Jesus. And what happens? (laughs) They get baptized, right? 3,000 people come to faith. 3,000 people are baptized. 3,000 people publicly declare their faith in the Lord Jesus at a time when it would have cost you dearly to do that. We don't live in such days. And yet how many Christians remain disobedient in this this area? I would submit to you that in our day, baptism may well be the easiest command in all of the Christian life to actually do. Now that said, with Jesus' command crystal clear in chapter 28 and the early church's plain example in Acts chapter 2, let's dig in just a little bit deeper because the topic is richer still. So what exactly is baptism? Well, if we strip it down to a bare-bones definition, it can be described, I think, as a spiritually significant ceremony by which a person publicly goes underwater then comes up again as an outward expression of the inward reality of their faith in the Lord Jesus. On your note page, what is it really? Man, baptism is the perfect picture for us. Let's talk about what that means. First, let's talk about the word. The English word baptism or or baptize comes from a Greek word, the Greek word baptizo, It meant to put something under or to completely immerse something. It could also mean to totally involve something or identify with something. So in the days of the New Testament, when, for example, cloth was immersed in a vat of dye, the word that was used for that was baptizo. The cloth was was fully immersed in the vat of dye and became completely identified with this new color. The word baptizo, immersed under. In the first century, if someone drowned, the word that was used was baptizo. You were immersed under water for too long. You did not survive. When the New Testament talks about the Christian's baptism, it has in view someone who has made a profession of faith in Jesus, coming before other Christians and getting immersed completely under water. Now, just as a side comment here, there are some church groups who practice sprinkling as a form of baptism. And perhaps uh, you were part of a church that did that at one time where you've seen that happen. 
The person being baptized comes before the congregation and the pastor dips his hand in a, in a basin of water and the person's kneeling and, and he sprinkles water on their head uh, of the person who's being baptized. And there are some large denominations today for whom that is their practice. But the New Testament never speaks even once of a sprinkling baptism for Christians. There is a Greek word for sprinkling, but that word is never used when a Christian is being baptized. Anytime a Christian is baptized in the New Testament, water is never poured on the person. It's never dripped on them. A wet finger is not touched to their forehead. Always the images of a person instantly, completely going under the water. And we see that when John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River in Matthew chapter 3. When Jesus is baptized, Matthew tells us very specifically, verse 16, Matthew 3, Jesus came up out of the water. Well, why did he come up out of the water? Because he had gone under the water. And then in Acts chapter 8, Philip baptizes the Ethiopian official. And here's how it's described. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him there. And so immersion is the, is the picture. Because the New Testament speaks of no other kind of, of water baptism and because the word baptism itself means to immerse, well, that's the form of baptism that we practice here at the Bible church. Now, fellow Christian, if yours was a baptism by sprinkling in some form or fashion in a, in a prior church context, we would not be saying to you this morning that, that somehow your baptism was deficient or it was inappropriate. It was your public profession of faith in that, in that particular context. And you were seeking to honor Jesus and make that public proclamation. You were obedient you were baptized. You would not be seeking another baptism. However, since Jesus models immersion by baptism himself and the New Testament church practice no other form, we desire to pattern our baptism practice after the model that we read in Scripture. The Bible simply doesn't present believers' baptism in any other way. But this isn't the only reason that we baptize this way. In fact, I wouldn't even call it the main reason. The main reason Christians baptize by immersion is because in the very form of baptism by immersion, we have this beautiful, perfect picture, a living, physical, visible, observable picture of something spiritual that took place in the heart of the person being baptized when they became a Christian. The things that happened in their heart were spiritual. They were invisible. You couldn't see what happens. So baptism, in a simple way, pictures spiritual realities that can't actually be seen, but are very real, very real. So for that reason, when possible, we baptize by immersion because a Christian's baptism under the water remaining under the water for a moment and then coming back up out of the water pictures beautifully and powerfully what happens inwardly when someone gives their life to Jesus in saving faith. No other form of baptism even comes close to capturing in a visual way the the spiritual significance of a sinner's salvation. And so I'll show you what I mean. 
Run to the right in your Bible. Let's leave, let's leave Matthew if you're still open there. Let's run past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Let's run past Acts and Romans and the Corinthian letters, and you'll come to the book of Galatians. If you'll land with me in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And flip that little note page over if you're tracking with us there. There is a moment in time in the life of every true Christian when the claims of Jesus are not only heard, they are believed. We learned of Jesus' death on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. We believed that he was buried and then that he rose from the dead on the third day victorious over our sin and death. The moment that we heard that truth and we believed it, Something extraordinary, something supernatural, something miraculous happened within us, inside of us, something spiritual. The day we by faith believed that Jesus died for us, our life was spiritually and inseparably identified with the life of Jesus. We became identified with him. And remember, the word baptize has as one of its definitions to identify with. Through our sincere faith in that supernatural gift that God gives us in Jesus, we are identifying with his death, with his burial, with his resurrection. Your life by faith is immersed into Jesus' life. Do you believe that? If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you've experienced this. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The glorious news of the gospel is that when Jesus went to the cross, he went bearing your sin. He went bearing my sin. When we put our faith in Jesus, we identify with him, though that moment on the cross happened more than 2,000 years ago and we're separated 2,000 years in time from the moment of Jesus' death on the cross. But when we put our faith in him, we are identifying with his death. We are there. We believe he enters our sin-sick world, seeks us out. God places our sin on him. And he pays the debt that we could never pay. And then when he was buried... Our sin penalty gets buried with Jesus in a very real but invisible spiritual way. We're connected with Jesus and his burial. And then when he on that first Easter morning bursts out of the grave alive, we do as well. We do as well. We become spiritually alive because we are in him by faith. Yes. So when he rises from the dead, we rise as well. And our sin penalty, hey, it's left in the grave, is it not? It's left in the grave. It is paid for. It is covered. It is buried. We rise with Jesus clean and forgiven. This is what it means to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to have faith in him. I died with him. I was buried with him. And I rose with him. And baptism captures that. All this is far too important for anyone to just take my word for it. Let's read it together, the truth of it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The Apostle Paul writes, I have been what, church family? I have been crucified with Christ. I didn't hang on the cross literally with him, but I have been crucified with him. My sinful condemned to hell self died with Jesus the day that he died. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who 
lives in me because I have identified with him in faith. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul is saying, I identify with Jesus in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. Can you say that? Amen. The story is told of a, of a tour group of Christians who, who went to the Holy Land and And when they got to the traditional site of Jesus' crucifixion, Calvary, the tour guide explained what happened during Jesus' crucifixion. And then he asked the group this question. He says, have any of you been here before? And one Christian lady in the crowd raised her hand and said, I've I've been here. I've been here. And the guide says, oh, really? He says, you have been? When were you here? And she said, about 2,000 years ago. I was here. And what was she saying? She understood the spiritual truth, didn't she? She understood that through faith in Jesus, she was identifying with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Though that happened 2,000 years before she went to the Holy Land. The spiritual reality of dying with Jesus, being in him, being buried, and, and rising up to a brand new life is pictured in water baptism. The old self, the sin-ruled self, the sin-condemned self dies. The the, the dying to self, to death and to sin, and its power is symbolically captured when you go under the water. It's a picture of dying. And then under the water, you are buried with Christ. Your sin debt is buried with the Lord Jesus. And then under the water, this picture... You come up out of the water, and what are you? You're clean. And even the picture of water rushing off over you is a picture of being made clean as you are identified with Christ's resurrection, and you come up out of the water. On your note page and on the screen, check out what Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Church family, only baptism by immersion portrays this incredible inward spiritual reality of what God has done for us in Jesus so clearly, so so powerfully, so beautifully that it can actually be said, and I love this thought, When a person is being baptized, they are literally preaching a salvation sermon without saying a single word. So powerfully is this image of dying, being buried and rising again conveyed through that baptism. So again, if we have the opportunity to be baptized by immersion, why would we not take full advantage of that as the New Testament presents it? It is the perfect picture. Of our salvation. Now, for some here today, the wheels might be turning and you have a question. And it sits right there in the middle of your note page on the back side in bold print. You, or more accurately, your parents, grew up in a religious setting that embraced the practice of infant baptism. And you were baptized or you were christened as an infant. And your parents told, that, told you that that's part of your story. And you're wondering, as you hear all of this and you read the word, 
does that infant baptism fulfill Jesus' command for me? Well, that's a great question. I've been asked that question many, many times. So what do you think is the appropriate answer? Louder, just a little louder in case somebody didn't hear that. No, no, it does not. A true believer's baptism would be in order, wouldn't it? And for a couple of great reasons. For one thing, there is nowhere in scripture where we ever read about infant baptism. Not even one sentence. The Bible never says that anyone enters into a saving relationship with God and experiences the forgiveness of their sin and a new life in Jesus by actions of a parent or or a priest or anyone else. Salvation is never granted by God through a ceremony. Ever. Do you believe that? Ever. Salvation in anyone's life takes place as one makes a personal decision about Jesus who he is, what he has done, and appropriates the truth of that into his or her life by grace through faith. Holy God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus is my Savior. There is no other Savior. It's always and only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone that we are saved. That confession that we make with our heart, with our minds, with our mouths, according to Romans chapter 10, Verses 9 and 10. In fact, can we read those two verses right off the screen together? Some of you have memorized these verses. Let's read them aloud as a church family. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Infants can't make these verses come to life and be real and true for them. And as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 declares there on your note page, it's by grace we've been saved through faith, through our personal faith, not by works, certainly not by performing a a ceremony like baptism. We're never saved that way. An infant can't even grasp the concept of faith much less exercise faith in Jesus. And beyond all of this, church family, baptism is presented in the scripture always as an act of obedience on the part of the one who's responding to Jesus' command. Obviously, again, an infant can't do that. They're just carried up to the front of the church, squirming little bundle, and then they're usually crying like mad as they get christened and water gets poured on them or whatever. So, so if an infant baptism or a christening has been in your past and, and, and you've given your life to the Lord Jesus through faith in him and you've been looking at that infant christening as your expression of obedience to Jesus' command, perhaps you'd want to rethink that. Baptism, biblically, biblically consistent baptism would certainly be appropriate for you. And I'll just tell you, We have done a number of these baptisms where people were looking at that infant baptism in their past as as kind of their fulfillment. And and then the light comes on for them, and we've had the joy of sharing in their baptism. So maybe that would be you. Publicly declare your faith. It's not your parents' faith. It's not your grandparents' faith. It's your faith. And by your baptism, you are saying, This is what I am. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus. 
My sinful life died with him. It was buried with him. I was raised brand new and clean with him. He lives in me and I in him. And as the Holy Spirit enables me, I'm going to live the rest of my life for his glory. Over the years, as I say, we have baptized a number who are looking at infant baptism as their, their fulfillment of this command. Maybe next Sunday, you would be one of those who would say, let's do this right. We'd love to share that joy with you. And speaking of joy, the last thought there on your note page says baptism. It's a joy to obey. Fellow Christian, no ritual, no ceremony or religious observance ever saved a single person from hell. Only the shed blood of Jesus, his sin-defeating resurrection can possibly do that. For absolute certain, baptism never saved a single person. However, baptism can and it does bring great joy into a Christian's life. Few things inject joy into our life more than when we know we're walking in obedience to Jesus. Would you agree with that? Oh, man. When we're walking in step with our Savior, thinking as he thinks and speaking as he speaks and acting as he would act, there is a joy that Jesus gives to us as a gift. And it's a real joy when we're walking in obedience. In John chapter 15, there at the bottom of your note page, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Why? Because you've obeyed my command. And not only does the one being baptized know joy, but so do all who witness that sacred moment as they celebrate a fellow Christian's life in Jesus. I have have felt great joy and been encouraged in my own faith as I have, have watched brothers and sisters be baptized and had the privilege of actually standing in the waters with them and help them do that. We live in a time when baptism has been marginalized in many places, and in some way it has become, I would think, the forgotten command. But brothers and sisters, it's, it's one of our most personal and powerful forms of ID. Do you have this ID in your possession today? Do you? Fellow Christian, do you have this ID in your possession? If you do not, maybe today is the day when you say, let's change that. Here at IBC, we can't plead ignorance to what Jesus in his eyes, would say is not a suggestion, it's a command. He hung on that terrible cross for us before the eyes of heaven and hell and earth. Is it too much for him to ask us to stand in the waters of baptism for him? Is that too much for him to ask? No. To replace no teaching or poor teaching with right biblical understanding of baptism, to replace confusion with truth, to put pride or complacency to death if that's, if that's what's called for, to replace a ritual performed when we, were, when we were an infant, to replace that with a bold public statement of love for Jesus. Is that too much for him to ask? No. So if you're a Christian and you call IBC home and you have never been baptized as your Bible has shown you the truth of that this morning, Why not inject a huge dose of joy into your life 
and in the life of all of your brothers and sisters by obedience to this command. Find Brandon, find me after the service today, and and let's get ready together for next Sunday. What do you say? Let's pray. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, you have not minced words with us this morning. You have been very clear from your word as to what your heart is for us. And so in this moment, Lord, if, if a friend nearby is, is really needing to be obedient to you in this area of their life, would you, would you just press in on them with your love, your tenderness, but also your, your firm hand so that what is being felt in this moment is actually put into action, that a, that a baptism would happen next Sunday perhaps, if you would be so pleased. Lord, for those of us who know you as Lord and Savior and we've been obedient to you in this command, thank you for the affirmation that has come to us today. Thank you for even taking us back to a moment in time when, when we remember when we stood in the waters of baptism and, the, and, and then we get to relive the joy of our obedience. So thank you for that. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you most of all for the gift of Jesus, for his death, for his burial, for his resurrection, and for life in him. We love you, but only because you loved us first. And to this all God's people say, amen and amen. Let's stand together, church.